Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, we're getting into the scripture. We're going to read, the, and we're going to do sermons every single... We got a, a 52-week series. It's called The Jesus Trip. And all year we're going to be preaching out of the Word of God, but we're going to be preaching out of the portion that together we are reading. How many are having fun thinking that corporately we're together doing one big corporate Bible study? Isn't it fun? And so uh, we're going to have a blast, and, and we had a great time last night. Well, I don't know if I can do again what I did last night, but it, it, it worked out real good. So I'm asking the Lord to help me make that straight today because i got to cover a lot of ground. So we're going to get going. Amen? Going to get going. So we're going to talk about, last week we talked a bit about the Bible. Just a quick little refresh. Are you ready? So it says the Bible's not given to man so that he can fix his story. The Bible wasn't given to you to fix your story. The Bible is his story and how you can find your place in it. So you don't find 10 steps to a better life in the Bible. You get to read about how God, who through his son took 10,000, more than 10,000, but he took a massive step towards you. And understanding that God loves you and took that huge step towards you, really that is what transforms your life. It's not finding some things to try try to do to be a better person. It's realizing that my value comes out of the fact that I'm God's child. I am loved by him. And out of that value, you literally live a valuable life. You're a better husband, a better person, a better everything, because you understand that his story is all about his radical love for you. And that's what you got to see when you read the word. If you approach the word like this is a textbook for me to read to try to change your life, it really is going to become something that's just going to beat the snot of you. It says the letter kills. But the Spirit gives life. And if you understand the revelation of Him in the Scripture, it's important. The Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what He's done. It is a book about Jesus. If you get a revelation of how much He loves you and you realize who you are in Him. Now, oh, pastor, that's your opinion. Well, Luke 24, 27. You had a bunch of guys walking the wrong way, disappointed in what happened. They'd been serving and following Jesus. And all of a sudden, they saw His life destroyed. Their dreams, their hopes, everything were shattered. They're walking away from their destiny. They're going the wrong way. Jesus catches up to them. And what does Jesus do? Beginning at Moses and all through the prophets, he expounded them in the scriptures and showed them what they needed to be doing. No, he didn't. It wasn't about them. All through the scriptures, he taught them things concerning himself. He showed them himself in the scripture. And when they saw Jesus in the word, you know, seeing Jesus in the word puts you back in your destiny. Seeing Jesus in the word is what empowers you and enables you. And you see a revelation of who he is and what the intention of it all is. And you see the grand scheme and eternal purpose of God in it. You go, wow, I'm in this story. And you find your significance in the story, his story about his passion for you. All right, Genesis 6, 14. We're going to talk about just bring attention to a few things in our reading this week, and then I'm going to talk about the two trees, all right? That's what we're going to preach on today, but a couple observations of what you're reading. What you're reading today, we read a lot of stuff already. I mean, we went from creation all the way to the birth of Isaac in, in a few days. I mean, isn't it amazing how much we covered? There's so much I could preach on just in that section, but a few highlights. You ready? Genesis 6, 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, cover it on the inside and the outside, cover it on the inside and the outside, Cover the whole thing with pitch. And you might go, pitch? What's pitch? Pitch? Well, here's pitch. Pitch is kafar. Pitch is to cover, to purge, to make an atonement, to make reconciliation. That is the same word that is used for atonement in the scripture. And God is saying, cover the ark with the atonement. Cover it with that one act where I will make myself one with mankind. And it's all a type of Jesus. When you get in Jesus, you get in him, you are at one with God. You are in union and communion with the Godhead. And all you have to do is get in Christ Jesus. What a great message. And you know, when you're in Christ Jesus, when the storm is going on and you hit a couple of waves and you fall down, you might have fallen down when you're in the ark, but you're never going to fall out of the ark. 
You could fall down 500 times in the ark. You could fall down day after day after day. But the point is, you are in Christ. You're not in your work. You're not in your ability. It's not about your performance. It's about the one decision you made to put yourself in Christ. And he shut the door, and you're safe in him, and you're wrapped in the atonement. Man, that's... But I don't want to preach about that. I don't want to preach about that. But that was something we read this week. Genesis 11, 6 to 4, says the people came in one language and they, they built this massive tower. Come, let us go. And it says God came. And if you read it and you understand the language, it says he looked at their hearts. He didn't look at what they were building, but he came and he looked at their hearts. And when he saw their hearts and the unity that they were in, he said nothing will be impossible for them. And here was people in unity to do the wrong thing. Here's a whole group of people in unity that we are going to go to God. I don't care if God's coming to us anymore. We're going to go to him. We're going to build a tower to God. We're going to develop our own system. We're going to develop our own structure. We're going to develop our own practices. We're going to go to God on our own. There's a lot of religion and a lot of things today and a lot of people doing things. And you know what? It looks powerful. And there's a lot of unity. And it looks like, wow, these people are doing great things. But you can be going really fast but be going nowhere because God's not in it. And you got to make sure that whatever you're uniting yourself with and bonding yourself together with, that God's in it and that it's his purpose. Because unity is powerful. But you can have the power of unity and be going the wrong way. Make sure that we unite ourselves, not just together, but together around the word of God, the purpose of God, what he desires to do. But I'm not preaching on that today. But that was part of our reading. And then in Genesis 14, Cheryl talked about Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the prince of peace, the one who broke the bread and the wine, the, the prefiguring of the fact that there was going to be someone who'd give his body and shed his blood for us to be saved and set free, and, and he gave him a tithe. And that whole principle of honoring started there with Melchizedek. Genesis 17, 7, he said, I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and all generations for an everlasting covenant. The covenant that he made with Abraham is an everlasting covenant and through Abraham would come a seed capital S seed singular seed uh, that singular pronoun of Jesus there's going to come someone through you who I'm going to make a covenant with and every generation will be blessed and that again what do we see we see Jesus everywhere in the New Testament you're going to see Jesus and that's why we're on the Jesus trip you know, we got three billboards in town right now flashing every day. Join us, start your year with us, the Jesus trip. Anybody seen one? You driven by one? It's pretty cool, eh? I thought it was fun. I, I drove by, sat there at the light driving people crazy. It was chill, I'm watching. Well, we want to see people find Jesus in the Word of God. We want you to find Jesus in the Word of God. Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7. And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Boom! That excites me, because nothing else in the world was created that way. Me, mankind, we are animated by the breath of God himself. It's God who has breathed in me and animated me and animated me, created in, in his image and in his likeness to reign and to rule, to represent and to reproduce. Man, it makes me amazing because I am so significant. The life that I live, it's the God kind of life. It's the very life of God himself. In Genesis this is 128. Funny, there seems to be a couple creation stories there. For me, usually one comes before two, but it says he created in chapter two, he created in chapter one. Anyways, don't mess you up with any of that stuff. Genesis chapter 128, then God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Say subdue it. A covenant made with man, made with us, a covenant God made there with Adam. He said, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on it. Have dominion over your neighbor, have dominion over the people you work with. Doesn't say have dominion over your neighbor. Doesn't say have dominion over the people you work with. We're never to have dominion over another person. That's not our role. Our role is to love and to serve other people, never to do that. God is the king, and he's the Lord of all things, and we submit to him. But we are called to subdue the earth and to manifest things. Uh, the TLV version, it says, the, be fruitful and multiply, fill the land, and conquer it, conquer it, conquer it, subdue. The word conquer, subjugate, bring into bondage, force, keep under, subdue, bring under subjection. It's the word kibosh. Say kibosh. 
You are called and God has called you a part of the purpose of mankind. God created us to put the kibosh on stuff. Let me read a couple more verses and we'll ask a question. All right. So uh, verse chapter 2, verse 15, Then the Lord took them, put them in the Garden of Eden, and he said, Tend it and keep it. Now the word keep it is the word shamar. Now shamar means to keep, to guard, to keep watch, to ward over, to protect, to save life, and to protect. Well, now if God created everything, it was good, it was all perfect, it was all wonderful, what is it that we're supposed to put the kibosh on, and what is it we're supposed to guard against? So when you ask those questions, you should come to a realization that this creation was a part of something that was already going on. This creation, some people think, in the beginning, and they don't think there was anything else. But you see, God took us, and he took creation, and this creation was created in the middle of a cosmic war. And we were planted and we were brought by God so that he could partner with us and through us, he could, in and through us, cosmically bring total redemption and subdue every single enemy. And he wanted us to partner with him, to reproduce, to reign, and to rule, and to dominate, and to cast down, and to raise up, to guard against and protect. Do you get that? Otherwise, it's nonsense. Kibosh what? Guard what? Guard against who? Did you read the part where he created the devil? No, but he was there. Suddenly they're in the Garden Eden and suddenly he shows up. Boom, where did he come from? He was already previous to this as well. So there's something bigger going on. We're not going back to the garden. The garden was the beginning to take us somewhere where we'd never been. And so we have to understand, if you don't know what you were created for, then you'll do stuff that you weren't created to do, which is a form of abuse. And if you don't know, like if, if I got a hammer, I don't know what it's for, and I, I just use it for all kinds of crazy things. I mean, I'm abusing what its function was for. If you don't know who you are and what your call is and what your purpose is in the earth today, why God Almighty has called you and redeemed you in this hour, if you don't know that, anything you do with your life could be just an abnormal use of you, which is abuse. And you're abusing your own destiny. We got to know what's going on right at the outset, right here at the starting point. We got to know what is it all about. So mankind is part of an eternal purpose of God to once and for all put the kibosh on evil and guard against this intrusion. The devil wasn't going to just sit back and say, oh, okay, wow, awesome. You're starting over. Good. Well, bless that. See you later. No, he attacked it immediately. And God knew he would attack it immediately. He knew there was an adversary that was going to attack every time he tried to manifest his goodness and his grace. He knew that there was an attack, but he was going to use us as a part of this whole big, wonderful, redemptive plan. So the kingdom of God is eternal, but dominion is generational. In Acts 13, 36, David, after he'd served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep. Boom. Psalm 115, 16, the heaven, even the heavens above are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the child and children of men. Now the earth, everything that happens on the earth, you got to have an earth suit to do it. Earth suit. See, Brian has an earth suit. Oh, oh, see. You do. You see, you, if, if your earth, earth suit quits, your spirit leaves earth. That's the way it works. That's why the enemy also attacks your earth suit. Because he knows if he can take out your earth suit, he can take out the purpose of God in your life. But I love, I love David. David said, I've done everything in my generation. I love the apostle Paul said, I finished the race. I've done everything God called me to do. And I know there's a crown waiting for me because I've finished. I have done. I have accomplished everything that God wanted me to do. It wouldn't be so great to be so completely aware of God's purpose and intentions for your life every day that you can actually get to a place where you say, check, I'm done. You know, he literally said, you know, I could go now but I'm going to stay a little longer for you. Isn't that amazing? He literally is saying that I have authority over when I'll depart. That's incredible stuff. He knew exactly what his purpose was. And he says, I fulfilled every detail. Jesus fulfilled every detail. Even on the cross, he said, to fulfill the word of God, he says, give me drink. And he took that, that sour vinegar to fulfill the word in Jeremiah. Even in pain, he was conscious of the fact that I have a role to play in the whole story, in the whole history of God. And he was about the business of the Father. And he did every single thing. No appointment missed. Everything done. Jesus fulfilled every detail of his life. We got to know what's going on. We got to know why we're here. We got to be seriously sober about what we're doing with our life because it's significant and you're powerful and you're created for incredible purpose. Just say wowzers. 
Amen. Amen. So you were predestined to say wowzers right there at that spot. You gotta, gotta. If I'm going to drop you in the ocean, you're going to gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. And I say, go down there and get me a lobster. You wouldn't fulfill your purpose very long because you don't have a suit to go deep down and get me a lobster. You would suddenly be going, gasping for air. You need a suit that's regulated to the environment. You would need a suit where you can get oxygen under there or you're not going to get me a lobster. It's the same thing with the purpose of God in earth. You have to have a body in an earth suit. And man has been given authority. That's why God, Jesus, had to come and take on the form of, he didn't become a sinful man, but he took on the form. That's why we were created in his image and his likeness so that God could fill one of us and he could come one day and as a man, he could get back and restore to himself all of creation. Jesus had to be a man because a man had authority and man still has authority. We still have authority. If you don't like what's going on in the earth today, you are the one with the authority to deal with it. God, would you do something? I did. I put you in charge. We're the ones responsible now to partner with him in his purposes in the earth. Can I get a hallelujah? All right. I'm trying to go fast. Why? Because, you know, it's, it is about control. It's about who's in charge. And that really is what it's all about, you know? Who loves, loves to control their lives? I don't even trust my GPS. There's times I just struggles. said, turn right. I said, I know, but I don't think that's right. My, my inner compass tells me that if we go this way, it's going to be quicker. And sure enough, we end up somewhere weird. And, and I'm like, oh, press the button again, start again. I don't know. I have a hard time. I like to be in charge. Went to the Dominican Republic, me and my wife, Cheryl, 40th birthday, picked her up with a limousine. She didn't even know what was happening. I showed up with a limo, had tickets, said, we're going to the Dominican. It's your birthday. She was like, I got appointments. I got things going on. You can't do this. I said, I packed your bag. You packed my bag. I said, I packed your bag. Anyways, I took her. I rescued her. I told her board that I was stealing her, and we made up phony appointments. She thought she had a busy week ahead, but she did. It was a busy week to spend with me and celebrate her. But anyway, we went to the Dominican. Am I talking too fast for you? Okay, we went to the Dominican. <laughs> and we, we went up this waterfalls. It was so amazing. We loved it. It was great. So we went back a few years later with our kids. And I, I said, I'm not going to pay the guides and, and the, you know, the people. They'll get charged me 150 bucks to do that. I can rent a car for 25 go down there, hire a guy, and get her done, right? So what was a $300 adventure for us, I'm going to turn it into a $50 adventure for the family. Woo! So I drive to where the place is. And I saw what they did. They just yelled out to a guy. said, Jose! Come help us up the, you know, that's all they did. There was guides there, guys were going to help. So I got there, but there wasn't a whole lot of guys there the day I got there. I was like, hey, anybody here, you know, do the falls thing, do the thing. And then this one guy came up. He was, you know, a, a scrawny guy, about 125 pounds. Sir, senor, I take you. I went, oh, yeah. But that was it. I said, ah, he knows what he's doing. We'll do it. We get to the falls. They had a lot of rain now this time around, and it started raining. And, and the falls were happening a lot quicker than when Cheryl and I were there. So we got water pelting us trying to climb these falls. And I'm climbing up this 20, about a 20-foot edge of the cliff. He goes up. He says, Senor, come, come. And I'm climbing up. And I just had surgery on my elbow not long before that. My arm was shaking every time I took a thing. And my daughter's going, no, we're going to die. Ah, I said, no, no, trust him. He knows what he's doing. Carly's like, he's 125 pounds. You're over 200. He's going to pull you up this thing. No. But I'll tell you, I was totally out of control. I had to trust this guy. He had his, I said, jump in over here, sir. I said, is there any rocks down there? No, sir, you'll be fine. I'm, I had to trust him. I had to, you know, my son's in a whirlpool spinning going, woo! And I'm like, what are we doing? My wife's like, we're going to kill the family. I said, we got to trust him. And I was thinking about control. And I was thinking that that day I was like, I was so out of my element. And I had to trust this guy. And you know, he got us through. But I, had to, I didn't trust him, not just with me, but my whole family, that none of us are going to die. Funny thing is, a couple years later, we found out they closed that thing to the public because people died. <laughs> so anyways, my daughter found out and said, see, I told you. I said, we made it through. Everything's okay. But, you know, in this walk with God, he's not a control freak, but you've got to yield to him because it's the best way to do life. And God won't enforce control on you, but he does say, let me lead. Trust me in every little thing. Let me be the source of your life. Can I get an amen? 
Galatians 5.16, but I say walk, live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the desires of the flesh or the human, your human nature without God. Galatians 5.25, if you live habitually by the Holy Spirit, live, walk in and by the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, we have our life in God, let us go forward walking in line, our conduct controlled by the Holy Spirit. Luke 4 verse 1 says, then Jesus, full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit. King James said, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan. The Amplified, full of and controlled by the Spirit, happens four other times. With Peter in Acts 4, it says he was full of and controlled by Stephen. Acts 7, full of and controlled by Barnabas. In Acts 11, full of and controlled by Paul. In Acts 13, 3, full of and controlled by the Christian life is for us to be in absolute union and communion with God and every aspect of my life to be full of and controlled by the Spirit of God. That is life. And that's how we're to live our life every single moment, every single day. Can I get a hallelujah? Filled with and controlled by. Let me show you two trees. Now we're going to get back in. That's the word stoicheo. That's the word full of and controlled by. Go back now to two trees. Two trees. Boom. There's two trees. You read this week. You're reading this week in Genesis 2 and 3 about two trees. This is incredibly important stuff. You got to understand those two trees, why they were there, and what's it all about. Because God set those two trees in the middle of the garden. One was a tree of life manifesting grace, manifesting what it is to be in Christ, manifesting what it is to be trusting and totally controlled by and totally animated. I was choked on my own phlegm right there. Trusting in him that he's going to lead every aspect. But then there's the tree of the knowledge. Knowledge, say knowledge. It's the knowledge of good and evil. And that's when you choose to take the path of Adam. You choose to stay in Adam. And in Adam, it's a legalism and a moralistic approach to life. Now, I could put out on the sign this week, come, impact. We've started a new series of sermons on knowledge. We're going to teach you on what's right and what's wrong. Come, have lessons every week on what is good and what is moral and what is just. And we're going to teach you on what's bad. And we're going to teach you how to moderate your life, stay away from the bad stuff, and embrace the good stuff. How many would think that's pretty reasonable stuff? That sounds good. What could possibly be wrong with teaching about the knowledge of good and evil? I mean, who doesn't want to know what's good and what's bad? Who doesn't want to hear about the do's and the don'ts? Who doesn't want to? It says knowledge is good. We should pursue knowledge. It's the knowledge of good and evil. But we have a world that is very legalistic. That was the whole Tower of Babel. We're going to create our own system of worship. We're going to create our own way to approach God. We're going to create our own way. We're going to determine our own values around here. We're going to tell you who belongs and who doesn't. We're going to set up a moralistic way of living life. And we're going to determine who's good or bad. And we're going to let you know. That's all the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hello. Are you still here? Knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded them, saying, of every tree. He commanded them, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you do eat this, you will surely die. Die. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Genesis 3, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, where did he come from? Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened. And you know what? Here's the truth. Your eyes will be opened. What he said was true. When you eat of it, your eyes will be opened to a realm that God never wanted you to live in. Your eyes will be opened to a realm of legalism and moralism. Your eyes will be opened to some realm that I never wanted you to operate out of. He knows that something will be open to you and you will be like God. A lot of people stop there. You'll be like God. Well, they already are like God in the image and likeness of God. So that's a lie. That's not where it stops. What it says is you'll be like God in that you will know good and evil. At that point, there was a prohibition. There was something that God in his capacity as God, as eternal love, eternal grace of absolute total perfection, he in the knowledge of good and evil was okay. But you see, he said, this is something 
that it isn't even about being right or wrong. It isn't even about obedience or disobedience. It isn't even that there's a test set before you. Will you always obey me? It isn't even about that. There's something that can enter into your world. There's a fruit of that tree that if it gets in you, it will destroy you and it will kill you. That's what God said. But they ate of that. They decided, you know what? We're going to eat of that tree. Said, you know, now, boom. And that's where, next slide, original sin. Original sin. Original sin was eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What are you not to do? What is the prohibition? Don't eat of the tree. And the devil knew if I can get you to eat of this, I can get the fruit of it in your experience and I can separate you from God as your source and I can darken your mind and I can mess you up so that you won't operate in the fullness of what you're created to be. So we knew we got to get him in that. So it was the sin of pursuing life, our identity, our worth, our significance, and our security for ourselves, an attempt to know God and know what only God can know and rightly know. It was an attempt for us to say, I want to make the rules. I want to determine what's right or wrong. I want to judge people. I want to judge myself. I want to set myself up as the knowledgeable person in the room. Well, that doesn't seem wrong. It's not the way we're to live. Believers are to live out of union and absolute total communion with God, to be led by, controlled by, and to live by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. Not out of the concepts you can conjure up or figure out, but to let him be Lord of all. And when you set yourself up as Lord of situations, and you judge, and you determine, and you say what's right or what's wrong, and you start getting all moralistic and start telling us, you know, you know, you tick me off, I don't want you in my world. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I have judged you. I put up a scale, and I said, you don't fit my world. Where does that come from? It's not the tree of life. Because the tree of life always manifests total acceptance, total love, putting other people with far more worth and value than myself, putting others above myself and ahead of myself, never judging or determining. Even if I'm right, check. They're like this, check. They're like that, check. They're like this. What's your response to that? I love you. I pray for them. I embrace them. I'm for them. Are you okay? Satan's challenge to Adam and Eve was, don't you want to be godly? Don't you want to know what is right or what is wrong? But the fruit was self of self was introduced to mankind, and independence from God was introduced. Operating in my life, making decisions independent of the revelation of God. What is the revelation of God? Love your neighbor. What is the revelation of God? Always esteem others better than yourself. What is the revelation of God? That you are here to serve other people. How do you become great? Become the least. But the knowledge of good and evil has corrupted things and messed things up and just done a goofball job on life. Genesis 3, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. The eyes of both of them were opened. Something happened that they had never had before. Their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together for themselves and made coverings and they heard the sound of God walking in the garden and in the cool of the day. Something happened. Their eyes were opened. Something shifted and a knowledge, some revelation came to them that they didn't need. Suddenly something entered in. Suddenly shame came in. We're naked. Suddenly I don't trust God. Suddenly I don't trust you. Suddenly I'm running from God. I'm running from the voice of God and I'm hiding myself because I'm eating from the wrong tree. Some come in, last night I had a word, there's no condemnation, just felt really strong. I got a word, there's no condemnation. You know, if, if you're trying to have a relationship with God and condemnation is anywhere near the frame, you can't have it. You know, condemnation is going to hinder people from understanding how great and how good God is. But condemnation is not from God. There's no condemnation in Christ. None. But what entered in with that? When, when you've done something bad, you judge yourself and say, I'm bad. What does God say about you? You know, God will never say, I'm displeased with you. I don't like you. I've had enough of you. I mean, I'm done with you. God will never, ever say that about you. It says that his love will never fail. It says that you're going to be fixed in his hand and nothing can separate you from the love of God. What does nothing separate you from the love of God mean? It means, I looked it up, what is it? Nothing. But you know, we sometimes think that we're smarter than the scripture. Well, there are some things. It says nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing. He'll always love you. Even if you go to the deepest, darkest place, you know what's still there? His presence and his love. 
You know, religion and moralism and all these things have entered into the teaching of the church and we've built our own structures in an absolute unity. We have defined stuff that we all agree with and it's nonsense. And it's that that's hindered the world. The world out there, they, they can't hear the voice of God. All they hear from the church is shame, you're bad, we're good. Anyways, I hope you're okay. Are you okay? If you're okay, say hello. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> so Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They thought, God's going to kill us. You know, that's what he said. He said, if we eat that, we're going to die. So their mind was they were screwed up even about God. I screwed up. He wants to kill me. So they were terrified about God. God's going to kill us. So instead, they became accusers of God themselves and others. The wages of sin is death. Not, 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 you know, God's mad at you and he's going to sin itself as the power to harm you. Eating of the wrong tree, that, that fruit, I mean, I mean, that kind of judgment, that, missing the mark, which is what? You're not understanding who you are. You're not understanding who God is. You're not understanding who others are. You're missing the mark of the definition of who you are in relationship with God. You've fallen short of what? The rules? No, you fell short of the glory. You felt sort of the glorious declaration of who you are in this beautiful story of God's love for you. And it's all that rotten, ugly tree. And it was prohibited. And yet they ate of it. Then they, they came in and said, so, so God didn't, now listen, God didn't, authentic Christianity is about union and communion with God. Knowledge of God and evil was prohibited. The knowledge, sorry, the knowledge of good and evil was prohibited. They didn't have it. They didn't need it. And then they were corrupted by it. They didn't have it. Things were going good. They didn't need it. And then they were corrupted by it. And it did result in darkness descending upon the minds of mankind and a corruption that made them incapable of manifesting the life of God. And there was a death in their spirit and a spiritual death that took place. And then Adam created after his own kind. And all the way down through the years, Adam created after his own kind a group of people that were subject to moralism and legalism until Jesus came and he broke the bonds once and forever. Sad thing is, is Jesus came, set us free, but there's all kinds of people saying, yes, Jesus set us free, but join the moralism club. We'll tell you if you're doing good or not. Come and we'll judge you and we'll tell you whether you line up or you're good enough to be in our club. Oh, yet a lot of church they teach week after week from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. How are you today? You're okay? All right. All right. So I got to find out where I am. So, so man changed. God didn't change. God did not change a bit. Not a bit. God didn't change in any way. Because they ate of that tree, God didn't change. He didn't say, oh, that's it. You screwed up. No, no, look what you made me do. God didn't change in any way. God described for them what's going to take place. God described for them, this is what's going to happen. God described for them that there's going to be enmity between you, your seed, and the devil. But then he prophesied there's going to come a day. And it's in Genesis chapter 3, 15, which we're not at yet. Because God didn't change in any way, but God planned redemption. But his view, man's view of himself changed. Man's view of others changed. And his view of God changed. How did that happen? It happened because when it happened, suddenly God's coming in the garden again. Hey, guys, how's it going? And they're running. So what's their view of God? We don't want to hang with him right now. It's not going to be pretty to be in his presence right now. Their view of God, their whole understanding of who he was changed. And there's all kinds of people who still think that they're in a relationship of trying to please and appease an angry God. That God really is pretty much a ticked off dude up there that's always got a checklist. Did I do good or did I do bad? And mankind's whole view of God changed. Everywhere in religion, other religious institutions and structures, it's all about man trying to perform to appease these angry gods. And it's amazing how much uh, Christianity, sometimes the way it's taught, looks almost occultic. And they, they reframe God like some creepy, angry dude who's not for them. God is always for you. He's always loved you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The righteous for the unrighteous, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is really, really good news. And yet we focus on the moralistic part of it and we forget to talk about how amazing he is. We talk about his story and show you how you fit into his story instead of giving these moralistic teachings of do and don't and do and don't and do and don't. If you do this, you'll get that. 
ifs and buts. My dad said if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Man changes, view of himself, view of others. I mean, then God shows up going, well, what's going on? What are you wearing there? Uh, well, we realize we're naked. Who told you that? Wow. He said, what's going on? He said, what happened? Tell me what happened. He says, well, uh, Eve, 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 Eve gave me some stuff to eat. Well, Eve screwed up, dude. And you know what? You're partly to blame because you gave her to me. <laughs> so this is back on you, big fella. I mean, wow. I mean, you, you brought us here. I mean, you did this. God's like, oh, my goodness. He turns to Eve. She's like, oh, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. And then you know how the story goes, right? Turn the serpent. He didn't have a leg to stand on. So, <laughs> so bad, isn't it? It's still a good one, though, but, you know. But you blame, 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 blame. I had to do it. I couldn't take it anymore. I had to do this. I had to do that. Check my, look at my evidence. They did this to me. They did that to me. I had to do it. They did this. Check, 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 check. You know what? You can have all your checks right, but your conclusion is that I get to separate from people. I get to hate people. I get to dislike people. I get to judge people. Check, 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 check. Look at my evidence. I don't care if you got tons of evidence. Your responsibility is still to selflessly love them and give them worth. The greatest thing, the longer I preach, the more and more I'm going, God, this is really all about love, isn't it? It really is, Carl. He said, really, the acid test of all of this is loving others, putting others, esteeming others better than yourself. It's laying your life down. It's being like me. What do you do for people? What do you do? You lay your life down for people. And yet there's so much in our culture. There's so much in North America. There's so much in our political systems where we're all standing up saying, I'm right over here. I'm right. You're wrong. There's so much of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sadly, believers are chewing on some of it. It's love. What would happen if a real, genuine, loving community that was free of unforgiveness and bitterness and strife, what would happen if there's a real community that really selflessly served each other and others without shame, without cost, without fear, embraced the ugly things in the world and brought them in and said, I love you. What would happen in the world? If there really was a group of people who lived only out of their union and their communion and their fellowship with God, instead of making more of the rules than the relationship. How are you? This is what we read about this week. This was this tree. That's what it was all about. Because God said they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you see, if it was good, he wouldn't have needed to intervene. And he did intervene. He said, what happened is introduced damaging, miserable, dark, personal into the whole affair of mankind. I ran out of adjectives. It was a bad, bad situation. Genesis 3.10, where are you? He said, I hid. I heard your voice in the garden. I was naked. I hid myself. Fear, I don't trust you. Ignorance, I don't know you. Guilt, I'm no good. And those things enter in, and that's the old fig leaf. The gospel, though, in Genesis 3.15, he said there, he said, you know, this is a nasty result, but I tell you what, he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's the lamb slain. And right here, you see Jesus, the he. That's where, when you're reading, you should have circled the he, because it says, he will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his bruises heel. And he's talking about the serpent, but Jesus is the he. Jesus is the seed. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is that even in the midst of all this, I was always, I've always intended to redeem a group of people, to bring a group of people to myself, that I will cover both sides of the do's and the don'ts. I will cover both sides of the good and the evil. I'll cover both sides of all the moralism and all the legalism and all the bondage I'll take care of it all I'll cover both sides of the covenant myself and you can have a relationship with me that is absolutely totally free you just have to believe and he wanted a community that would be totally set free to not judge to not not determine good or bad to not put people on a scale but just to really believe in the royal law of love that it would really work in transforming culture are you okay Right there, I said there was going to be an amen, but there was just awkward glances and stares. And people going, oh. 
the gospel. Genesis 3, 21. Also Adam and his wife and the Lord made them tunics of skin and he clothed them. Blood was shed. God provided. There's another type, another image. God covered them. And he covered them with skins, which meant there was an act of, of bloodshed, blood shedding that took place. And it says without the shedding of blood, nothing can be redeemed or sanctified in Hebrews. And there's a type and a picture again that I am. I'm telling you right now that I will remedy this. I am going to restore you to myself and you can live in my presence and in my purpose. The choice remains right now for every person. Who do I trust? Who's in control? God doesn't want to control you, but he wants union and communion with you. He wants to be your absolute source. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he was joined to the Lord with him as one body. He was joined to the Lord as one mind. Well, listen to what it says. He was joined to the Lord as one spirit. When you're joined to the Lord, you're one spirit with God. See, I literally, the same union, the same quality of relationship that the Godhead experiences, I have been brought into. And I have the same quality of relationship with the Father as the Son does. I have the same quality of relationship with the Spirit as the Father does. I've been brought into that community and they've esteemed me and they've brought me into and they've elevated me into the most wonderful community that ever existed. God brought me into the community and the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in me. Wow! That's what you're to live out of. That's what you're to see when you read the Bible. You're to see what God did to bring you into that beautiful relationship. And then you live out of that relationship. You don't approach the Bible as a rule book to be obeyed to have some type of quality of life. You have quality life. Now release it. You're not trying to get quality of life. You've been baptized into a quality of life that will always get you results and will always lead to blessing. Can I just get an amen just for fun? All right, just for fun. All right, so that choice remains. Come on, who's, who's, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to do it? Genesis 3, 22 and 24. God's really good here because it says, man became one like us to know good and evil. God confessed that. He said, look, look, we made him in his, our image and our likeness, and they were always in our image and likeness, but now man's become like us to know good and evil. And he says it's a bad thing. I mean, it's messed up. And he says, you know what? If, if, if we let them stay in the realm of the tree of life, they'll eat of the tree of life and they'll be damaged forever. What's the damage? What is the damage? What's the damage that God says is there? The knowledge of good and evil. And he says, if I let them eat of the tree, if they eat of that tree, they'll eternally be damned with living out of the revelation of good and evil and the knowledge of it. Do you get this? You read this. And God said, look, he said, I got to drive them out. I got to remove them. I got to, I got to stop access to the tree alive because if I do that, they will live forever and they'll forever be damned. So he placed a flaming torch. He placed cherubim and he, he placed a torch. It's like, it's like something that was so kind of weird. It, it, like, it, 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 that no matter what, they could not see. They could not gain access. He separated them from, and it was the mercy of God to keep them from the tree of life because they would have lived forever in that damaged state. Do you see how serious this is? Do you see how serious it is when we as Christians operate out of it? Do you see how wrong it is? That's why the Bible says don't judge others. Let God do the judging. Love others. You know, when we step into judgment, we step into these things, we put people on scales, and you know, that person at church, I can't, you know, they're driving me nuts so much, check, 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 enough, I'm done. Never, ever, you're right. And you can never, ever say, had to do it. You made a choice to say, I'm going to break union, and I'm going to break fellowship with the tree of life, I'm going to live out of a fallen nature, and I'm going to be self-preserving, I'm going to do something selfish for myself, because i got to protect me. Have I done that 10 times this week already? I think so. If I've been in situations where I've, I don't need this. You say, I don't need that person. I don't, I don't need that. Does that happen all the time? Is that a corrupting influence, even in the body of Christ? Hey, how are you? You're really, really quiet. You know what makes this easier? Apply it to your neighbor. No. <laughs> See, that's, that's what we do. You know, I compare myself. Well, there's some people really bad. I'm not as bad as them. Uh, 
All right, Morgan Guyton. Morgan Guyton, he's got a blog. I was reading his blog, and, and it was so interesting. I, I just took this right from his blog and thought I'm not going to mess with it. I'm just going to read it as it is, because I thought it was really a good summary. Here's what he said. He said, so we should not be pursuing the knowledge of good and evil when we read the Bible. That's eating the same fruit that Adam and Eve ate. Instead, we should be reading the Bible to discover the love of God that makes us more loving. Sadly, too many Christians want knowledge rather than love because knowledge gives us a feeling of power. It makes us think that we can be like God, exactly what the serpent tricked Eve into believing. But knowledge itself, even perfect knowledge of good and evil, has no power to make us like God at all. It is love that makes us like God. And only God can be the origin of love, and we can only be its recipients and its conduits. Sadly, Genesis 5.3 says, And Adam lived 100 years, 130 years, and he begot a son in his own likeness and in his own image. And ever after that, mankind had passed on this fallen sense of who they are. So here we are at the start of 2019. <laughs> Would you do that? Would you put up a no trespassing? Would you put up a no eating sign at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because there's still access to it today. But you know what you also have access to today because of Jesus? The tree of life. And you can. That's why the Bible says be controlled by the Holy Ghost. Be submitted to him in everything you do. Let him make every decision fall in line with him forensically in every detail. And if you're going to judge something, don't judge others. Judge yourself. What's your learning in this situation? What can you gain out of it? Man, I thought this was going to be a happy sermon. But what? So let's do that. Let me finish with this right here. John 17. Seems strange, but I want you to know I love Jesus' prayer. I love his prayer. And you know, if Jesus prayed the prayer and Jesus is God and all his words are awesome, this prayer that Jesus prayed, it's fully answered. And we know that he's praying God because if you want to see the Father, Jesus is the full manifestation of the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. You want to see the Father? Look at Jesus. So we see the mind of God. And Jesus prayed this beautiful prayer. And he said, I did it. I finished my job. Now, Father, here's what I want to happen. And he talks about the community being raised up in a covenant of love, in a covenant of purpose, understanding the power in the name of Jesus, understanding their authority. But he wants them also to understand this. He wants them to be one. He said, Father, may they be one. What quality of one? do you want son I want them to be one as you father and I are one I want them to be in me and I in you and I want also that they may be one in us he said that they would believe that you sent me and that the glory the glory Lord the glory we see today we strive for the glory you don't have to strive for the glory it's a gift I mean, Jesus prayed, Father, he said, I've given them the glory which you gave me. I've given it to them. And I gave it to them. Why? You know what the glory creates? It creates oneness. It creates unity. It creates a group of people walking in the finished work of the cross together, loving and esteeming and serving and giving worth and value to everybody else. That they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, stand up with me. Wow. Oh, God. I was praying, Lord, help. Be a, a divine filter. Make sense of what I'm saying. Help every heart hear the goodness of what you want to share. Spirit of God, you alone, your truth. Let it, the seed of it sink deep in all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And listen, if you're here today, I want you to know that, that Jesus, he gave his life for you, and he did it so that you could be broken free from sin. You could broke broken free from, from being reproduced after Adam. You can now be in Christ. You don't have to be in Adam. There's only two types of people in the earth today, those who are still in Adam and those who are in Christ. And you can be in Christ today. You can be set free from that dumbing down, damaging darkness that's messed with your life, and you can be free into the revelation of the light and the glory of God. And if you're here today, 
today and all the believers are praying. We're all praying. But if you're here today and you've never said, Lord, be the Lord of my life, if you've never said, I believe and I receive you as the Lord of my life, fill me with your Holy Spirit. If you've never done that, if you've never said, be my Lord, be my Savior, I want to be reborn. I want to be born again from that broken seed, that, that perishing thing. I want to be brought into light. If you've never done that, I want you to do it today. And I'm going to pray for you. But all I want you to do is I'm going to count to three. And if that's you and you know, you know God's drawing you. If that's you, when I count to three, put up your hand, okay? Are you ready? One, two, three. Boom. Just throw up your hand really high. Say, pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me before you go. Anyone, just throw your hand up really high. Boom. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? People got saved last night in the first service of the year. It was so good. Is there anyone else? Put your hand. I want to pray for you. I want you to know. I want you to know him as your Lord and Savior. Okay, we're all going to pray together. You pray. You put your hand up. Just pray with us. You ready? Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. And I believe that because of what he has done, I can be restored to you. So I receive Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. Come into my heart. Holy Spirit, testify now to my spirit that I am born again, that I am a child of God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen. And somebody may chat with you later, tap you on the shoulder. And it's because we don't want you to just make a decision. We want to welcome you to a journey. And it's not that you got to join this church or anything, but it's more than just a decision you made. It's, it's a family. It's a beautiful thing. And I want to share with you. So those are on ministry team today. Can you come on? If you're on ministry team, if you're on the prayer team today, can you come up? So keep reading your Bibles. Keep reading every day. It's day six today, tomorrow day seven, all the way through. Next week, we're going to preach out of somewhere where we've been reading everything we do. Our small groups this time are going to be all about the scriptures we're reading. So we lots of opportunity for you to ask questions and talk about what we're talking about. So I just pray, do that journey with us. And don't forget, we're in the middle of 10 days of prayer. And the prayer blog is up there. Leave a comment. Just let us know you're praying with us. You really encourage me when I see your prayers. And I'm so glad to see your passion and you just desires for the new year. Father, I bless this house. I bless each one. Father, I just thank you this year, 2019. I, as pastor in this house, I command the richest blessing on these folks. You've given me a command to bless, and I bless. I bless them with every good thing in Christ Jesus. I bless them with the knowledge of the Father's love. I bless them with the revelation that they are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. They're flooded with his grace and favor. I bless them with the knowledge and revelation that, Holy Spirit, you abide in each of us. You animate us and you move us. You put us on like a garment and you take every aspect of our lives and you do the purpose of God with us. So we bless each one in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome day. Love you, love you, love you.